couple of weeks ago, we launched into a brand new series where I said we're going to talk about what it means for the church, the body of Christ, to participate in the mission of God versus seeking, going out to God and saying, hey, God, we got this great mission. We want you to bless it, which is our tendency, right? Run ahead. I got a great plan for my life. Will you say grace over it, you know, <laughs> you know? And so this, we take very seriously and intentionally the idea that Starkville doesn't exist for connection, but connection exists for Starkville. And that starts to change things when you start thinking about church that way. It starts to change why we come to church, what we do while we're at church. What we do Monday through Saturday is bent around participating in the mission of God. Uh, I got the great opportunity to go check out Delta Grace this weekend, which meant I got to, like, take a crowbar to a door. You know, that was in, that was in seminary class 401 somewhere. No, they don't teach you that stuff. I have the guys show me. I was so scared I was going to break something on somebody else's house that I, you know, tear it out and I'm not supposed to. But the lady in the home, you get to meet her, you get to know a little bit of her story, you get to hear that kind of thing. And so, but this group is literally transforming the dwellings of places people live. I put doorknobs on like four doors that had no doorknobs. I mean, that's a small thing. It's not even a complex skill. I actually had that skill before I went. I'm so proud of myself. But we're transforming their physical dwelling. We talk about changed lives in the church all the time. But when your house doesn't have what it needs, that affects your whole life. And so we get to go somewhere else and do that. We get to go is the point, right? The church exists for the community around it, not the other way around. You think about this, we tend to set church up like, if we have really awesome music like Will, and we have really great grapes, then the Hall of Starkville will come. That's not how it works, right? But if we're out in the lives of people, and we're demonstrating God's love in their life, they're going to be compelled and drawn to something like that. But whether the church meets on Sunday morning or not, we're Jesus in front of them. And that, in an eternal sense, that's way, makes, that's way more important. In fact, theologically, if you think about it this way, we talk about Jesus as father and son, right? And the scripture uses that. It uses other names for God, but the paradigm seems to be father, son, and Holy Spirit. That's our Trinity way of talking about it. The father sends the son, and then Jesus, the son, sent his church. And so in that way, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, the church is an extension of the ministry of Jesus. Jesus was here for three years and he ascended into heaven, but he commissioned his disciples, he commissioned his followers to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I taught you. There's nothing in that that says big, build a bigger building and get lots of people in it. It says go and make disciples, teaching them what I taught you. In fact... And you probably know this. If you, if you don't know this, I'm fixing to tell you. John 17 is actually Jesus' prayer for his immediate disciples and for his extended disciples. And so I'm going to let Jesus say what I was just trying to awkwardly say. <laughs> All right. This is John chapter 17, verse 1. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come to glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all who have been given to him, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, 
the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I have had in your presence before the world existed. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have, they have kept your word. Now, they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them, and they have received them, and now in truth that I know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I'm not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those to whom you gave me, because they are yours. All of mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. Now, you know who he's talking about, the thems, right? And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name, that you may ha- the name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name, that you have given them to me. I guarded them. And not one of them was lost except for the one who was destined to be lost so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you and I speak these things in the world so that they may have joy made complete in themselves. I have given them them your word and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world but I ask that you protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So there it is. I could have just read 18. That would have made the point, right? Just as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. We exist to carry out the mission of Jesus to continue the mission that God gave Jesus on earth to reveal God to the world. That's what he said his mission was in the first few verses, right? I came so that they would know God. And now I'm sending them so that the world may continue to be invited into and to know God. That's the mission. So think about the implications of that. Then you get to Acts 2.42, which has kind of been our theme verse for this whole series I didn't write it down, so I'm going to have to go to it. Acts 2.42. You just heard that prayer from Jesus, right? I sanctified them in my word. I sent them into the world to reveal God to the world. And in verse 42 of chapter 2 of Acts, it says this. That they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching... And fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. Sanctify them in your word. And then when when Luke is describing the early church, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now there's several practices in that passage. And that's where we're actually going to go with the basics of the church, right? If we're going to participate in the mission of God, then we, connection... If we exist for Starkville, the way the Acts Church existed for its community, need to practice 
what it takes to be in the world, as Jesus put it, but not of the world. He said, they're in the world. I gave them my truth. The world's going to hate them because of my truth. So I've protected them. Continue to protect them. Send the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us. We're not on this mission on our own by any stretch of the imagination. Right? But they are going into the world that will hate them because of what I have taught them. And then we get to the practices in two. And he says, they were devoted to the teachings of the apostle. So if we're on mission, then what church is for, you could argue, is this is our rally point before we go back out. Sometimes we tend to come to church because we're like, we just want to feel better spiritually or whatever. And there's part of that. That's part of it. We want to see each other and fellowship one another. That was part of Acts 2.42, by the way, also, if you didn't catch it. Devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. The basics of the church. If you're going to be in the world and not of it, if you're going to help God transform it and partner with God in the transformation of the world in making disciples, then those practices are foundational. Um, I had a seminary professor that said, theology is application. Simple three words. Very deep statement when you realize it. It's another fancy way of saying you do what you actually believe. If you believe doing a certain thing will produce a certain result, and that result is something you want, you'll do what it takes to get that result. If you believe that Christ can be trusted for salvation, then you will trust Christ for salvation. There's a theological application, right? If you believe that the Scripture is foundational for how you should live, then you will practice reading Scripture. If that's what you believe, if that's your theology, you will live out that theology. Theology is application. There, I, this has been said multiple times in multiple churches. Maybe you've heard it. I don't know, but, if you, but preachers have said this in the past. If you show me your calendar and your pocketbook, I can tell what you care about. Where you actually spend your time and where you actually spend your money reveals what you truly care about. You can say... I believe in eating healthy. Show me the receipts of those restaurants. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can say you believe that, but what did you order? You know? That's always awful. You tell somebody you're on a diet and you go to a restaurant with them and you don't eat like you're on a diet. They just go, I thought you were on a diet. Thanks. You know? How we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we spend our thoughts and our prayer life and our, what we devote our resources to is what we really believe and care about the most. That's why you stay up till 12.30 to watch a football game. Or sit in the stadiums in the rain after it's been delayed for two hours. Because you care about Mississippi State football. Otherwise, you can go home like a sane person, you know. But no, you care, so you stay. That's a perfect example. I should have just used that to start with. Nobody sits through a two-hour rain delay unless they want to see the end of the game. <laughs> right? John 4, 17, 14 says, The world will hate the church because of Jesus' word. So therefore, because of Jesus' words, right? So our grounding in scripture is foundational to our practice of being on mission. But Jesus has warned us in John 17, the world's going to hate us because of what the content of those words are. The scripture, frankly, is offensive. Wait, I'm, I'm a sinner? Yes. 
wait, I can't live the way I want to? Yes. You're pushing your beliefs on me. No, I'm not. This is telling you how we should live. <laughs> like, read this. James calls this a mirror, right? He calls the scripture a mirror. Why does he call it a mirror? Because when you look in it, you see all the imperfections. Or perfections, depending on who you are. <laughs> you know? But when you look into a mirror, it reveals what you really look like. When you look into scripture, it reveals what your heart really looks like. And some of us don't like to be told what our heart really looks like. Me included. Sometimes I read this and I go, really? I got to do that? That's awful. I'm a pastor and I still have a hard time. None of us are perfect. We're going we're gonna to see a blemish in the mirror. That's okay. It's okay. That's why we have a body of believers who can help us be the mirror and go, hey, did you see where this is? This? I thought you were on a diet. You know? <laughs> That's the conversation, right? Hey, I did that again. I thought you were on a diet. Well, maybe not. I'm not on my diet from sin very well this week. I don't know. In other words, the scripture is going to show us where we need to shift and change. But we don't do this journey alone. We do this with the rest of us. And we do this with a world that needs to see themselves in a mirror as well. If they don't have a mirror, they don't know. If they don't read this, they have no idea where they stand. And they think all there is to life is a bigger paycheck and a bigger bank balance and a bigger house because there's nothing else. What we have is hope. Let me ask you this way. This will be very fun. Why is the grounding in Scripture important? Why is the devotion to Scripture important? If you prepared for a test at school, or if you prepared for a major presentation at work, to the level that you spent devoted to Scripture this week, how would you do? How would you do? If you prepared for your final exam or your quarterly test, or if you prepared to do this project at work or, to, or this event at work to the level and to the of devotion that you gave to Scripture this week, what would your boss say on Monday? Right? <laughs> but we say Scripture is important. We're devoted to it. Now, I'm not going to come to your house and test your Bible knowledge and see if you were devoted this week. That's not how it works. I'm not going to expect you to come in on Wednesday and give me a presentation of John. You know, that, that's not how this works. And so sometimes we go, okay, I need to read my scripture, but this stuff's way more important. I got to do this. I get that. But theology is application. And if I believe this holds the truth of life and everything in it, and I need to be more devoted to it. I, uh, I think I've told you the story of this the young lady I worked with in Florida for a while that was a devout atheist, an outspoken atheist. God doesn't exist. Bible's crazy. Christians are crazy. She was that person. She came to my campus club every week for whatever reason, where we talk about Jesus all the time. But one, the first week she came, I, the way I got her to come is we were having a debate about whether God exists or not, and she wanted to take the no side and argue with the Christians that were in my Christian club who were going to defend proof that God exists. Sounds like a fun conversation, right? But I will never forget one of the things she said in that debate as she's running circles around the Christians who did not know their Bible. Well, the Bible says this. That's wrong. The Bible says this. This is not why wow, that's not right. This is what she's doing. She goes, she made this comment. I'll never forget it because I'm quoting it to you now. Of course, if I was a Christian, I would read and know my Bible. Why wouldn't you? 
a non-Christian, somebody who did not believe in God, told a bunch of Christians, how can you not know this stuff and call yourself a Christian? That was her perspective. If I was in on this, and she knew it better than they did, the reason she would sit there and go, it's not true, is she had actually studied it and didn't find it, she didn't believe it. And she's looking at a group of Christians who claim they believe it that couldn't present it to her. Now, they were middle schoolers. It's a little bit of grace here, right? But at the same time, this young lady who did not believe in God and the Bible and Jesus understood it and understood its purpose better than the Christian students sitting in the room. That's amazing. And a little bit of guilt-producing, I, I, I admit. Because you know? I would probably have struggled too in middle school. Let's just be honest. Anybody else? Oh, I had all of John memorized in middle school. Of course not. But her statement still holds true. If you're a Christian, why wouldn't you be familiar with this? Call yourself one. You say you're on a diet. Why are you ordering the Big Mac and cheese? You know, like, like of course. It makes sense. I will do you a little, I will do you a little quiz, though. You ready? This is going to be fun. By the way, we're going to do a little bit of interactivity this morning. This is not just a monologue, okay? So you're going to have to respond a little bit. Not to these, but in just a second, I'll ask you a couple of questions. These are phrases or sayings that are not found in the Bible. Now, when I read some of these, I was like, really? That's not in there? <laughs> so even me, I was like, really? Here's a few of them. This is one of my favorites because I do this at Christmas every year. The three wise men. That phrase, not in Scripture. First of all, the Bible calls them magi, not wise men. And it never says the number. The number three is a historical thing. It, there were three, make an assumption because there are three gifts. It does not say there were three. What about this one? Moderation in all things. That's not in Scripture. The idea behind that phrase originates from Aristotle's ethic and direct quote from Rome several hundred years before Jesus. Moderation in all things is not in Scripture. What about this one? This one, not about, really? That's not in there? Maybe it kind of is. The Lord works in mysterious ways. Ever heard that one? Not in the Bible. Some of you are like, wait a minute, get my Bible out of here. Um, comes from a hymn, not from Scripture. So you've probably heard it in church, but it's not found in the Bible. The lion will lay down with the lamb. Now, I read this one. I went, wait a minute, I know that's in there. Anybody? The lion will lay down with the lamb. That sounds like it's in Scripture, right? Isn't that in Isaiah or something? Anybody feel a little bit disconcerted about their Scripture reading now? I know I was when I was reading through this. It's a misquote of Scripture. Isaiah 11:6 says, Then the wolf shall be the guest of the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with a kid. The calf and the young lion shall browse together with a little child to guide them. No mention of lion and lamb together. I thought I knew my scripture. How about you? Anybody, how are we doing on this quiz, quiz so far? This is fun. The seven deadly sins. Not in scripture. Wait, what? Now, now, the sins are mentioned. The phrase, the seven deadly sins, does not come from Bible. It's a, the list of seven deadly sins. Wrath, greed, sloth, pride, lust, envy, gluttony. First evidence of this list is from a monk in the fourth century some 350 years after Jesus. This is another famous one. You probably know this one. 
The money, money is the root of all evil. That's not what Scripture says. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Just a little quiz this morning to make sure you go, oh, I, I know my Scriptures. Here's another last one. To thine own self be true. Where's my English majors at? Anybody? You know where that comes from? Shakespeare, not Scripture. <laughs> so it's a good chance. We probably need to go look in our mirror. Am I right? After that one. And that's not the whole list. I could give you more. This too shall pass. Not in Scripture. Uh, a fool and his money soon parted. Not in Scripture. Pride comes before the fall. Kind of. That exact phrase, not in Scripture. And this is, a, this is another one. Cleanliness next to godliness, not found in Scripture. Just because somebody uses a phrase about God or the Bible doesn't mean it came out of the Bible. Now, some of this stuff is kind of in the Bible. You know, it's close enough. But the phrases are not, and we assume that they are. Now, I don't know about you. I was doing this in preparation for the sermon, and a couple of these, I was like, that's got to be in there, right? I mean, I've got degrees in this stuff. I think I've read that in the Bible somewhere, especially the lion and the lamb thing. I thought, okay, that's in the scripture. I know it is. Kind of, but not really. We've got to be grounded in scripture if we're going to be on mission for God. And that quiz kind of reveals, at least culturally, if not church-wise, we're not as grounded even as we think we are. The seven deadly sins aren't in the scripture. And they are. That stuff is sin, but it's not listed like that. All right, so a couple of questions. What is, help me out a little bit, because we're talking about Scripture, right? We're talking about, now that I've made you feel very unfamiliar with Scripture, maybe. What has been, what has your experience with Scripture been like? And I'm, that's not a rhetorical. What has your script experience with grounding yourself in Scripture been like? Confusing. Thank you. That's, and it can be word-worn answers. We're not looking for deep theological truth here. So thank you. That's good. Confusing. Comforting. Okay. When it's not confusing, it can be comforting. Absolutely. And there are some parts that are more comforting and less, and more confusing and less, for sure. A reminder. Okay. <laughs> I do have a blemish. What's most difficult for you when it comes to Scripture? Consistency. Can I get an amen? Right? Part of the reason we're not grounded is we don't read it on a regular basis. And then we read our favorite parts over and over and over again. And don't read the confusing parts as often. I legit need to lead a Bible study on like Leviticus and just freak everybody out. You know? Like, what does this have to do with anything? What's most difficult when it comes to Scripture? Easy to put off. Yeah, when that presentation at work has to be done, Scripture reading waits, right? When the seven-year-old wants to play with his toys again, Scripture has to get put off. Speaking from experience on that one. Right. Why do you think it's easy to put, be put off? Yeah. Yeah, if I read my Bible tonight, work is not going to be incredibly different tomorrow. My wife will still be here, hopefully. You know, like, <laughs> like there's no real, like, 
Jesus doesn't sit down with you at 10 o'clock at night and go, what did you read today? And quiz you so there's something to press you, you know? So it becomes a lower priority. It's something we can do. We just never quite get around to it because we let everything else crowd it out. Anything else? Difficult about Scripture. Yeah, you pursue consistency, and it leads to boredom, because it's just the thing you do. And I'm reading it just to check off a list. Okay, I did my quiet time today. I'm a good Christian. I was good for Jesus today. I did my, I did my chores. And if that's how you see Scripture, is, is it, or can get to where you feel like that about Scripture, that's tough, because then you don't. It's like, I don't want to go work out at the gym either, you know? Like, <laughs> it has the same kind of feel at that point. It's like, I don't want to get out of bed and go pray, read sleep hit the snooze button a little longer it's easy to put off that way but yeah if you're reading every day you're like, okay, I gotta do it because it's true there are some Sundays or some days when you're reading it's like oh I can't believe this is in here my life has changed forever and then 50 days of I didn't get anything out of that anybody relate to that yeah like you expect that when you open the book there's just gonna be like and when it doesn't happen, you go, huh? <laughs> and the scriptures, are, I mean, the spirit's movement in our heart tends to be like that. It tends to be true in our whole spiritual life, not just around scripture, though. Every week, every weekend is not the last retreat you went on where you had all this time with Jesus and everything. And so, like, our, even our spiritual walks do this, right? In all of our practice, in all of our pursuit of Christ. Some days we feel really close to God. Some days we feel like our prayers don't get past the bed. And the familiarity can almost get routine. Hopefully it won't get so routine you're bored with it. But if you know it that well, then you're grounded in it. That's hard, part of how you ground it. My son has become fascinated with Sonic for whatever reason. And this means we have watched episode one, movie one and two way too often. To where I'm like, I know what's coming. I know the next line. Because <laughs> he wants dad to watch it with him. It's not just, oh, I'm going to go watch Sonic again. Oh, yeah, have fun with that. <laughs> no, 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 sit down with me. Okay, great. You're not watching a movie I like to watch on repeat, like Star Wars or something, you know? Like, we're at Sonic again. Sonic 2 again. Great. Let's watch them back to back, dad. No, okay. You know. But that routine of watching it over and over again breeds the familiarity with it. But I think some of the familiarity is how we start to mistake some of these phrases. Like, oh, I know that's in there. Because we think, I'm so familiar with it that I don't have to go back and look at the detail. And you go back and look at the detail and discover there weren't three wise men. We have no idea. Christmas routines have helped reinforce that idea, though. All the major scenes have, like, three wise men, you know, we three kings. You know, we sing that stuff. And that's part of where some of that comes from, I'm sure. Somebody, you said, who said consistency? You said that right off the bat. What prevents you from being consistent? Kind of the things we've been talking about or something else? Busyness. At least we're all confessing our sins before we take communion, right? I'm too busy for Jesus. Oops, that's not what you said. But yes, busyness does crowd out our scripture, right? Crowds out a lot of our spiritual practices. 
Anybody have a war with sleep versus Jesus? That your day is so full that what you really need to do to spend time with God is get up at five, and there's just no way that's happening. Anybody relate to that one? I'm like, and you, and you make these commitments, right? You're like, okay, starting tomorrow, I'm setting my alarm. I'm going to spend an hour with Jesus reading the Bible and praying. And then start getting ready for work at six. Anybody ever done that kind of thing? Especially after you go on, okay, yeah. Especially after you go on a retreat, right? You come back and like, I'm on fire for God. I'm going to spend an hour and a half in the scriptures. I'm going to read some Old Testament, some New Testament. Here's my brand new journal. Ooh, it smells so good. How long does that last? How long does that last? Anybody? Anybody want to confess? Like two days? A week? Really spiritually special? Ten days or something? And you're like, oh, I missed a day. Oh, I missed two days. Oh, it feels a little boring now. I got to. I don't really want to. I think part of the reason we do that, this is just like two cents not in the sermon, is we do what I just described. We try to bite off too much. 5 a.m., I'm going to do an hour. Anybody want to go run a 5K with me, like right now? Because that's what you're, she's like, yes. She's trained for it. I would be a disaster. So like, but that's what happens though. We decide, I'm going to start running tomorrow. And it's painful. And it's awful. And you never run again. <laughs> you know, at least not that far. Like, I'll run to the refrigerator and pick up, you know, something there. We do the same thing with our spiritual practices. We decide we're going to be super spiritual now. And we go out and try to lip bench 400 pounds when we hadn't picked up a bar. Which, you know what I mean? Or we try to go, I'm going to run a 10K, and you've never run more than 200 yards in your entire life. We make the same mistake with our spiritual practices. Yes, you need to be rooted and grounded in Scripture, but no, you're not going to read the entire New Testament in 10 days. You're just not going to. You're just not going to. Because it takes a little while to build that in. It takes a little bit of, I need to figure this out, how it works for me. And let it grow. Because it's like any habit, or it's like exercise in that sense. When you train, you nodded your head, so you must run, right? You train for a 5K, what do you do? You train to run the 5K. You run a little while, you run a mile, you run half a mile, you get a time, get faster, you build up strength, you build up endurance, you learn how to eat right to do the running. If, you want, if your goal, and it's a valid one, is to spend an hour every day in Scripture, you don't start with an hour every day in Scripture. You pick a plan that works, and you build the habit. You build your spiritual muscles up a little bit. I did this with prayer years ago. My prayer life, my prayer life still struggles. I'm just going to be honest and be transparent since we're doing that this morning and confessing our sins. Like, it's like Scripture. I mean, we're going to talk about prayer in a couple weeks, but it's like Scripture, right? You don't just, okay, I'm going to pray for an hour, five in the morning, for everybody at Connection, go. be nice. And so I decided, partly because, you know, anybody else is like, squirrel, when it comes to spiritual disciplines. You know, you can't even focus long enough to do it. I started writing my prayers so that I could focus. And if I did get distracted, I could come back to it and see where I picked my train of thought back up. And when I started, I had a journal, and it was like that much of a page. I wrote a few sentences. Whew, okay, I'm exhausted. I like training for a 5K, you know. But I did it again. And I did it again. And what I discovered was, uh, whole page. A month or two later, next page, still writing. I figured out new ways to incorporate things into my prayer life. New, new ways to focus when I was praying. 
I got more focused because I knew I was just writing the train of thought and I just got focused. But that practice built spiritual strength in my, in my prayer life until I was praying. I'm like, next page, next journal, boom. Like, but I didn't start with like, okay, I'm going to fill this whole notebook up this morning, <laughs> you know. But it was the writing that helped, not the praying. It was the writing was the tool that helped me give, give me spiritual discipline to pray. And grounding ourselves in Scripture is no different. Now, I want to add this little thing before I give you these. I've been giving practical steps, but I'm going to give you some practical steps, and then we're going to take communion together, all right? Scripture, 2 Timothy, this is a famous passage about Scripture reading itself. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the person of God may be proficient and equipped for every good work. Now, we could talk about the uses of Scripture in our life, and we talked about that some already. But I want to focus on verse 17 for a second. Scripture is inspired and useful so that the person of God may be proficient and equipped for every good work. If Jesus gave this church a mission, verse 17 tells us the Scripture is useful in preparing us for that work. Part of the reason, one of the foils to it's just boring or it's just a to-do list is the why you are reading. If you are reading every day so that Jesus will love you more and you can check off your box, that is the wrong reason to read Scripture. The stated purpose in 2 Timothy is to prepare you for the work that God has given you to do. We do our spiritual disciplines, we do our spiritual practices for the sake of others, not ourselves. When you realize that even coming to church on Sunday or reading your scripture is to prepare you to be Jesus in front of somebody else, the importance meter goes way up. If I'm reading it to get some information, that's a good thing, it's not a bad thing. If I'm reading it to check off my to-do list spiritually so that Jesus will love me more, that's not going to motivate you the way when you realize if I know Scripture, then I can tell somebody about Scripture. If I'm grounded in Scripture and it changes who I am, I'm better at being Jesus when I'm out in front of somebody else. I am reading for their sake, not mine. As pastors, it's very hard to read not for sermon. <laughs> when I'm reading personal quiet time, it's like, ooh, sermon. You're like, it's hard not to do that, right? But when reading scripture, I am trying to change myself for the sake of others. Remember I said our purpose in being a church on mission is that connection exists for Starkville, not the other way around. Read scripture like you exist for those around you, not for what you're going to get out of it. This is probably a whole other sermon series. But unfortunately, we tend to treat church like it's for me. Like I'm not, you've heard people say this, I'm not getting fed spiritually, so I'm moving on to another church. Maybe you've said that, and I don't mean to step on your toes, right? Or I'm not getting anything out of it, or they've got great programs, so I'm going there. Now, part of that's our culture, right? We have everything on, on demand. We have everything on stream. Pay your 20 bucks, you can watch the movie whenever you want to watch it. That's why we've watched Sonic 20,000 times, Right? It's on demand, it's available to us. And what that unfortunately does is wire our brain for church exists for me to consume. 
And while consumption is important for our spiritual growth, the church exists for the world, not the world for the church. Does that make sense? And so if we come to church looking for what's in it for us and only what's in it for us, then we're missing the mission that Jesus gave us in John 17. Just as you sent me into the world, Father, I have sent them into the world, not the church building. In verse 17 of 2 Timothy 3, so that the person of God may be proficient and equipped for every good work to do the work that God's given us to do. Now you're not reading to get another little holy whoo. Now you're reading to go, okay, the Bible says I'm this, but I'm really this. I need to become like this so I can be like that for them. Or I'm reading scripture to go, I really need to be able to explain that to the little girl in my middle school club that didn't understand Jesus. And I, she's got an answer for why that, that she doesn't trust scripture. I need to be prepared and efficient and prepared to answer that when I talk to her. Now I gotta study. You'll, you'll never study your scripture or understand scripture like when you're trying to explain it to somebody who doesn't go to church. Because you start reading it with their eyes and go, why does it say that Jesus did that? <laughs> and you start to see it from their side of you. And you go, wait, I need an explanation for that. Now I've got to do some search. Deep spiritual truth, Google is your friend. To a degree. <laughs> but there's almost an answer everywhere for anything. Why is this in the scripture? Or if you know the scripture but you don't know the scripture... The building's going to fall in or something. If you know that this, the part of a Bible verse, like that one I just read from 2 Timothy, all scriptures God breathed. Where is that in scripture? You can literally just type all scriptures God breathed and Google will tell you where it is. Try it. Like some fraction of some memory verse you remember from kindergarten, just type part of it into Google and hit search. And the first five links will be thebible.com. There's the verse. Oh, sweet. <laughs> Why am I telling you all that? I don't know. Sorry. So here's the deal. Practical steps. I'm going to give you some, like, to ground yourself in Scripture, A, B, C, all right? Some of these you might know. Cool. But it's also part of my challenge for you. Find, I said this a little while ago in a different way, find a plan you can manage and commit to that. You will not go to hell if you don't read today. Or even if you forget tomorrow. <laughs> Pastor's saying, you won't go to hell if you don't read Scripture every single day. Is it important? Yes. Should you do it? Absolutely. You don't earn favor with God when you miss a day. Or lose favor with God when you miss a day. But find a plan you think you can manage and commit to it. Hey God, I can't get up at five. But on my work break, I'm going to read five verses from somewhere. And stick to it. Figure out for yourself a commitment you can make and manage and let it grow. Kind of like I was talking about with the prayer journal, right? You'd be surprised. The Bible app is really helpful for that. They got plans. They got slow plans, big plans, small plans. <laughs> Read the Gospel of Jude in five days, and it's like 10 verses. You know what I mean? Like, like there's all kinds of ways you can find something that works and develop that commitment. Find someone to walk with you in that commitment. Hey, I, I'm, I'm terrible at being consistent at reading the scriptures, but I am going to read this. Will you ask me if I'm doing it like I'm supposed to? Or, which is even more fun, will you do it with me? Will you do it with me? Hey, I really need to read scripture more. I'm going to read this much in this time frame. Will you just ask me about that once a week? Keep me on track. 
to remind me to catch up again, <laughs> you know, whatever that, how that works. And can we go to lunch like once a week and talk about what we read? That'd be really cool. Or wherever, whatever works for you in that situation. But find somebody to walk you with you in it. Make a journal of notes or questions and take it to that someone or someone you trust. Somebody, you said confusing, right? You hit a passage, you're like, huh? Make a note. Message me, I don't care. Message somebody you trust. There's nothing more fun than when you find out you both have a question about a certain passage and you go figure out the answer together. I'm a Bible nerd, so I can say that's fun. Okay? But it's really cool when you dig into Scripture together. And you may both go, we still don't know why, but at least we dug into Scripture together. <laughs> you know? Make a note. Make journals. I, I need to ask Charlie about that one. The youth group at, at church, for whatever reason have been asking me repeatedly, because I threw out this little tidbit, how do dinosaurs fit in the Bible? And I have like a pet theory and I have some scripture behind that. And so they've been driving me crazy about that answer to that question. So I got to go talk to one of the small groups about it at some point. So I'm going to put all those practicals into, into play here, right? I've, sorry, we killed a bunch of trees on your chairs today. I don't know if you noticed that or not. There's handouts are us. <laughs> sorry about that. One's for communion. One is for what I'm about to tell you, and one is for the project that we're working on to be for Starkville with our mission project that we're, that we're raising supplies for. Um, so you can take that with you and look at it. I, I did the homework for you. I did the Google search for you. What you have on your, ta- on your chair is 30 days through the Gospel of John. It's a reading plan. If you're like, Charlie, I'd like to be more grounded in the Scripture. I have no idea where to start. A gospel is always a good place. The gospel of John is a great read. And there's a 30-day schedule for how to get through it in a month. Check the little box. I'm telling you as your pastor, that's my plan starting tomorrow. So if you want to join me in that, I welcome you to do so. I'm going to be reading John for the next 30 days by that schedule. I gave you a copy of what I'm reading. If you have questions, if you want to go to lunch and talk about it, cool. If God opens the scriptures and you go, whoa, like I was talking about, share it with me. I'd love to know. <laughs> I might make you share it with connection. But share it with me. I want to know. I won't do it without your permission. But I'm, I'm inviting you into a scripture reading together as a group. Does that make sense? And there's the plan. I tried the Bible app. There was all like devotionals and and stuff and two weeks. And I'm like, no, we don't want it that intense. We got a little more space. 30 days, Gospel of John, we're reading it together. And you can do all the things I just said. There's your plan. It's manageable. Somebody to ask you about it, I'll ask you about it next week. <laughs> make it easy. And make you a journal, and we'll talk about it. And read the Gospel of John together. We've got to be equipped for the work that God's given us. We don't have to read every day. But we have to be devoted to the apostles' teaching the way the early church was, so that we can be Jesus to the world. We don't have to have it all memorized. That's what Google's for. But we've got to be grounded in Scripture to give the world hope. Let's pray. We're going to take communion together this morning. I'll have further instructions for that. Okay? Dear Heavenly Father, we are so happy to be in your house this morning. To have coffee. To be next to each other. To be on this journey together. Help us to ground ourselves in Scripture. Make the Scriptures alive for us. 
not a checklist, not a to-do list, not a burden, but a source of truth, a source of life, a source of hope, and something that empowers and equips